This week, we continue our series on the bad advice that we often find coming from the mouths of Christians. I don't think we give this bad advice because we're trying to be cruel. I don't think uh, it's because we're dumb or uninformed. I don't think it's because we necessarily have bad theology. Personally, I believe it is because we live in a culture that has developed certain phrases that, through exposure and repetition, we just come to accept because of where we heard it, instead of investigating it if it's, if it's grounded in Scripture or not. I'm not trying to fault anyone. The elders and I just think it's worthwhile to take a look at some of these because who wants to intentionally go around spreading bad advice, right? Today's piece of bad advice that we hear often but isn't true is a bit on the sensitive side. And that is largely because it deals with death, but more than that, it deals with what comes after death. Now, there are a ton of unknowns about what happens after we die. This is not a place that the Bible is incredibly clear. I think it's purposefully ambiguous. God doesn't want us to know too much about what happens right after we die. Like, like later, after all the things have come to pass, after we have the new heaven and the new earth, after judgment has been rendered and there is an eternity in heaven and an eternity in hell, yes, that, that stuff is pretty clear. Like, like the Bible makes that stuff pretty black and white. But if I was to drop dead right here, right now, would I go to be with God right away? Would I immediately go to heaven? Would I be in a spiritual slumber until God called my soul forward for judgment? What happens to our bodies? My daughter passed in utero at 21 weeks. Will she be that small for all eternity? What age will we look like in heaven? Do we get to choose? I'd like to not choose this. There's, there's other ages that would be nicer for that. But what does that look like, right? What will my body look like in eternity? And will I care? There are a ton of questions about what happens after we die. We get some answers in Scripture, like the thief on the cross, to whom Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And those who believe that, as, as soon as you die, your spirit is in heaven, point to this verse. And then there are other verses that seem to counteract that, right? Like in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, the prophet writes, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, Christians, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This prophecy is clearly about the end times. We've got Michael, the archangel, doing his thing, being the prince who protects, and then the multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. So hold on. Sleeping in the dust of the earth is being spiritually asleep after death. These people are dead. I, I thought if we were believers, like Jesus told the thief on the cross, that we would go straight to heaven. But here in Daniel, we're being given a totally different look at how all this goes down. So what, what's going on, right? Like there's, there's tensions in scriptures. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think if someone believes that they can tell us definitively what is going to take place with our souls in the seconds after we die, they probably need to do a bit more Bible study. But honestly, this is one of the things that, that I, I personally just love about being Lutheran. We don't have a problem 
with the tensions. We're okay with the Bible saying what it says and recognizing that it isn't always going to make sense to us. For in recognizing this and admitting this, we are admitting that we don't have the ability to understand God fully. He's outside our scope of total comprehension. And because we can't meet him toe-to-toe on any level, and definitely not on an intellectual one, there are, th- there are going to be tensions. There's going to be things that, that we don't fully understand, and that's okay. That's okay. In the tensions, we rest in the only place we can. We rest in the Word of God. So what happens right after we die? I have my beliefs, but ultimately we don't really know. Someday we will, right? Someday we're going to know all this stuff. But for now, we just have to rest in the tension and trust that God knows. And really, I don't think this particular topic is important enough for us to to fight over. It, It doesn't have to be and shouldn't be something that divides us, whether we believe in instant soul teleportation to heavenly realms or we are preparing to settle in for a nice, long spiritual slumber that thought process is not going to affect our eternity. This issue isn't salvific. Our future in heaven does not rest on when we get there, but how we get there. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. What I do think is important for us to recognize, however, and why we're going to take a look at a particular piece of bad advice this morning, doesn't have as much to do with what our eternity looks like as it does what we will look like in eternity. The piece of bad advice that we are going to look at this morning is something we hear when people die, often children, and it's this. When someone passes away, we say, God gained another angel in heaven. It may not be that exact phrase. It may not be those exact words. We understand the concept, right? Again, this is particularly something we find with children, but there is this idea that when we die, We become angels in heaven. And the reason I think this piece of bad advice is worth talking about is because, first of all, it's not something that we see in Scripture, but also, if we carry it to its full extent, we diminish who we are here on earth by believing we transform into something else, something better, when we leave it. Life is not a video game where we level up to the last level and we hit heaven and realize our final form, angel. I get the fascination, right? Angels play some pretty awesome roles in Scripture, in the Bible. Gabriel and his super incredibly important messages. The host of of heavenly beings that attend God on his throne that that we read about in Isaiah. The, The sky being filled with the voices of angels on the night that Jesus was born. My my favorite angel was always Michael, the leader of the armies of heaven. I can only imagine how huge and fantastic that dude's sword is. Like, I just, I just want to see it. it. It just sounds awesome. Like this big old blade strapped. Ah, love it. Love it. So when we think of heaven, when we, when we think of God, when we see pictures of heaven, art that has been done through the ages, often what is associated with heaven is angels. And so to a certain degree, it's understandable that there would be a thought that when we get to heaven, we become angels because it's where angels live. That's, that's who populates paradise, right? And I get that. And, and I'm not trying to ridicule or poke fun, but I do think it's important to recognize that there are differences between angels and humans. The Bible doesn't give us a ton of details on angels. 
doesn't really tell us when they were created. It tells us about the fall of the, the archangel Lucifer who recruited other angels to his cause and challenged God for the right to rule the heavenly realms. We don't know the timeline. We don't know exactly when that happened. We, we know that there was a battle in heaven and God won. The armies led by the archangel Michael won and, and Lucifer rebranded Satan and his angels, now known as demons, were cast out of heaven. We don't know much other than that. We don't know how Lucifer's fall took place. We are much more familiar with how our fall took place and the role that the fallen archangel played in it. In Scripture, we are told that there are different types of angels. Some have many wings. Some have a few. They have crazy names like seraphim and, and cherubim, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing those correctly. We don't know a ton about angels, but we do know that they are different from us. It's almost like they live in a different plane of existence than we do. We, we know that they are God's creation, that the heavenly angels serve him and the fallen angels work against him. And maybe it's enough to leave it at that and just to wonder in the awe of the stories. But as we wonder, let us not be distracted. Let us not be envious. Let us not be so caught up in who they are that we dream about becoming them someday. For God did not make us angels. He made us humans, and I'd like to spend some time this morning exploring why that's important. And we're going to start in the very beginning. We'll be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Now, I haven't written in a, a ton of time to look that passage up this morning, largely because it's the first passage of the Bible itself. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to, to follow along. If not, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you'd like to use that. But the words will also be on the screens beside me. Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. We read the word of the Lord this morning. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures, the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. Created in the image of God. That statement in itself can raise a ton of questions. Many books have been written on what it means to be created in the image of God. We're, we're not going to explore the deep recesses of that debate. But I do want to sit for a minute in verse 26. I, I think that is the essence of what it means to be made or to bear God's image. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
So that they may rule over the fish in the seas, the birds in the air, and the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There is an inherent importance given to the image bearers of God. It wasn't Adam and Eve's genius, it wasn't their abilities, it wasn't their strength, it wasn't their ingenuity that led them to being the top of the food chain. It wasn't their giftings or their style or their creativeness. It was God's image upon them. It was because they were created in his image. This is where their authority came from. How all that works, I, I don't really know, but creation does. Creation isn't confused about who God has put in authority. Like anything broken by the sin of the world, that doesn't mean that creation does what it's supposed to all the time, right? Animals still attack and, and kill people, but just because they come after us doesn't mean that they don't know who is in charge, who is in authority. Creation knows. God didn't give his image to anyone else in creation, not, not the lions, not the tigers, not the bears. He didn't give it to the alpha predators. He didn't give it to the deer. He didn't give it to the super cute red pandas. That's my favorite. Love me some red pandas. We love our pets, right? We love our pets. We may not love each other's pets, but we love our own pets most of the time. But, but God didn't give them his image either. They can mean a lot to us, and, and they definitely mean a lot to him. He created them too, but he didn't give them his image. He didn't give the angels his image either. He gave us his image. God gave man and woman his image. And I love how the passage says, in the image of God, he created them. Before it says, male and female, he created them. Before we are male and female, we are bearers of the image of God. One gender is not more important than the other. One is not more special to God. Both are equally precious to him. Both are equally important to him. And so God may have, or, and, though, and so though God may have some things to say about roles and order later on in Scripture, and those things are important, let us not forget, let us not overlook that this is where it all starts. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. They are equally important to him. And that means that you are important to him. I don't know where you're at in life today. I don't know what triumphs or difficulties you are facing. I don't know what hopes have fallen through. I don't know what valleys await you. But I know that God loves you. I know that you are an image bearer of Christ. Do you feel beautiful? Do you feel attractive? Do you feel fit? Do you feel desirable? Do you feel ugly? Do you feel overweight? Do you feel like you're a few years past your prime? Are you trying to remember your prime? It can be tempting to look in the mirror and wonder how we let it get to this. It can be tempting to focus on all the things that we don't like about what we see looking back. We see our flaws on display and wonder how anyone could possibly see past them. That we may look at ourselves with contempt. 
God looks on his image bearers with love. He looks on us with a deep love that despite our constant betrayals, despite our inability to be perfect, despite how we are so incredibly talented at hurting him, it did not stop him from sending his perfect son to come and live among us. It did not stop him from sending his son to reconcile us to himself. And so because of his great love for us, God sent Jesus. And Jesus came down to earth, and here on earth he died not because of his sin. No, Jesus was perfect. He died because he took our sin. He was betrayed by his friends, convicted through a rigged trial and sentenced to a horrible death. And instead of leaving, and instead of having the angel armies come and save him from the schemes of those made in his own image, he stayed. And he carried the cross and he took on our sin, for upon him was the sin of the world. And on the cross, he became sin for us. And there on the cross, in our place, he died for all of it. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him and we rest in the faith that he has given us, the Bible tells us that the dirty rags of our sinfulness have been taken from us and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Our sinfulness was put upon Christ and through faith we are given righteousness. All of this so that we might be reconciled to God. All of this so that God can have a relationship with those who bear his image. Those who mean so incredibly much to him. Even though life may feel difficult right now, even when things are hard, God has not stopped loving you. He has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten his promises to you. You are an image bearer. Of God, and He will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop reminding you of His goodness. He will not stop loving you. He has not forgotten you. Karen and I are reminded of that this past week. As many of you know, my wife Karen is not with us this morning because she is at home recovering from delivering our youngest son, Amos Zachariah. He was born, well, it depends on how you go with days, but either late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning. It was Wednesday, 2 a.m., 2.01, when that little bundle of joy entered the world. If I look a little haggard this morning, it's because he's trying to figure out when he's supposed to sleep. I keep telling him it's at night, and he hasn't quite figured that out yet. Eventually, we'll get there, but at this point, that's just where we're at. We told uh, my uncle on, on Karen's side his name. And he asked why we didn't go with a Norwegian middle name as, as we had with so many of our other sons. And he's right. Most of our boys have a Bible first name and then a Norsky middle name. And that had been the plan, but plans change. A few weeks ago during the sermon, I, I shared about the daughter Karen and I had that she gave birth to stillborn back in January 2019. I've talked around that day but I haven't really shared many details. When we found out that the baby had passed in utero, they induced Karen. She was admitted to the hospital. And after I had gotten her checked in, I needed to come home and, and pick up the boys from school and, and you know, be a, be a dad. The doctors were pretty sure that Karen would deliver our little, our little Ava the following day. So I wasn't even sure I was going to go to the hospital that night, but my aunt, Linny, she showed up so that evening, or that evening, so that uh, she could stay with the kids. And I didn't want to go to the hospital. I was, I was scared. 
But I knew I couldn't abandon Karen to the situation by herself, and after some gentle prodding from my aunt, about 11.30, I made my way to Holy Name Hospital. Holy Name closes its front doors at 9 p.m., so to get in, I had to go through the emergency room and be admitted that way. It's the only other time I've entered the hospital through those doors until Tuesday night. I'd gotten home from picking up my in-laws at the airport on Tuesday, sat down and had time to watch the Mariners beat the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Doesn't happen often, so I figure it's worth noting. And baby was good, like he was a, he was a good boy. Karen had started labor, not much, but just about the time the game ended, baby was making clear that he was pretty intent on making his way into the world. I grabbed Karen and our go bags, we got in the van and, and made our way to the hospital, and it was about 11.30 when we walked through the emergency room doors and the memories started flooding in. After we checked in, a nurse navigated us, Karen in wheelchair, myself behind with the bags through the hallways and corridors, and up the elevators that I had journeyed myself that terrible night in January three years ago. We entered labor and delivery, and though there were about a dozen rooms that we could have been put in, and though Karen was the first mother to come in that night, we got put in the exact same room that Karen had delivered Ava in. And as I sat there, my emotions battling within me, unsure as to if Karen realized what had happened, that we'd been put in the one room that I never wanted to enter again in my life, had only entered in my nightmares, and then in walks a little older Filipino nurse. She's worked many a delivery. She has had many patients. She would have had no reason to recognize us, but I will never forget the nurse who attended Karen and who was there when our daughter was stillborn. There were quite a few nurses on duty that night, and yet we got the same one who had three years ago while well, we were in that same room, been there with us. After Ava, the placenta was being stubborn, and, and so she had been taken to the operating room for a DNC to make sure that Karen would be okay, that infection wouldn't set in. And now, after a time, after the doctors had arrived, Karen was put in a wheelchair and wheeled down the same hallway I had seen her go down three years ago, and she took the same left into the same operating room. And I sat in that room by myself like I had three years ago. In 2019, I was full of sorrow and I was scared for my wife going into that operating room alone having just lost our child. On Tuesday, I was sitting there waiting to join my wife, to be with her as another of our children was brought into the world healthy and whole. And the timeline for our little man's birth was also significant. We lost Ava in January 2019, and later that year we found out that Karen was, was pregnant again, and we were, we were very excited. The pregnancy ended with a miscarriage in the beginning of August. Our son was born within a 24-hour period of the anniversary of when Karen miscarried three years ago. God does not forget. Sitting in that delivery room full of horrible memories, making new wonderful ones. 
with wave after wave of realization hitting me. And I just sat in awe of a God who remembers. From the minutia of the time I entered the emergency room on that dark January night to the timing of when we lost a child whose heart had just begun to beat, God had not forgotten. So what to name our son? We didn't want to be the family that went into the hospital without a name, and yet that's who we were. We had some that we liked, but, but we, just, we just didn't feel settled. We decided to wait until baby was born. We settled on the first name, Amos. Amos means burden, and what child isn't a burden to their parents, am I right? <laughs> but really, if, if you look deeper, the name means born by God, carried by God. And that is how Karen and I have felt during this this pregnancy and all of the pain and the trauma that have been unearthed through the process right down to the delivery. And what for the middle name? There's some pretty awesome Viking names out there I could have gone with. It's pretty high on Thor. Wasn't sure it was going to pass, but I like that one. But I couldn't get away from Zachariah, which means our God remembers. Our God remembers. Just as he has not forgotten my daughter, who though she did not make it into this world whole, was still an image bearer of God, created in his image. So God has not forgotten you, image bearer. He has not forgotten the valleys that he has walked with you through. He has not forgotten the joys and the trials that he has celebrated with you. He has not forgotten the tears that he has shed with you. You matter to him. He sent his son to die for you that that he might have a relationship with you, that we might spend forever and eternity with him. Is my daughter up there with him now? As we said earlier, we don't really know, but I choose to believe that she is. What I do know is that though she will always be a little angel to me, she will not be an angel in eternity. For she forever, she will be an image bearer of Christ. And I, for one, can't wait to see what that looks like in the perfection of heaven. But until that day, until the day that God calls us home and gives us our new bodies, let us not forget who he has called us to be and the mission that he has called us to join him in. How thankful I am for God. How thankful I am for a God who loves us despite our failures and flaws. How thankful I am for a God who will never leave us or forsake us. How thankful I am for a God who created us with purpose, with love, with joy, in his own image. May we see the God, the image of God in our neighbors, in our friends, in our family, in those that drive us crazy and in ourselves. Church, friends, you have value. You are important. You are an image bearer of Christ, and he will never forget you. What a fantastic, wonderful, amazing, and beautiful God that we serve. Amen.